Friends, our first and only scripture reading is a single verse, John 21, 25. This is from the Message Translation. There are so many things Jesus did. If they were all written down, each of them one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're heading towards the end of our stewardship series, uh, deeper. Remember, we talked about what did we want more than anything, and we, we saw that as our goal, we wanted to be the most vital church we could possibly be. We've been working for the last seven weeks. Do you know that you have been through a stewardship series for seven weeks? I mean, that's something to be proud of. I know sometimes it probably hasn't felt like a typical stewardship series, and that's kind of the point, is that stewardship is far deeper than just today or the Sunday before. It's about all of our lives and who we are. And so we said, what would be stewardship and vitality? Well, we think it's depth. And so we've spent the last seven weeks trying to figure out more of what does it mean to go deeper. And so for our last Sunday, we're talking about miracles. Now, what's the story we tell about our lives? When you go to a dinner party, let's say, you know, COVID has calmed down, we're starting to do dinner parties again, and you go to a neighbor who has moved in in the last year, and you've not had a chance to get to know them, and they put together this great meal, and you're getting to know them a little bit. What are the first things you talk about? It's usually not what you had for breakfast, right? I mean, you might. It might be the thing that's ready at hand for you is say, oh, hi, my name's Adam. I, I had Rice Krispies this morning. <laughs> All right, that's great. Do you, do you talk about what car you drive? It, maybe not. It's not usually the first thing you talk about. Most of the time, the first things that any of us ever talk about. When we meet somebody for the first time, over dinner and drinks and we're just getting to know each other are the things that shape our identity. It's the things that represent the depth of who we are. They give someone new a contoured sense of how we're different than the other people in the room. I want people to know when I meet them the first time who I am and why I'm different than say Lindsay, right? I, Lindsay's great, but we're different people. And so I want to tell the stories that make me who I am. And she hopefully will tell the stories that make who, who she is. So I might talk about my job. I might talk about that I'm the pastor of South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. I might talk about the neighborhood that I'm living in. I might talk about my family or other important experiences that help me remember who I am. I might talk about my undergraduate experience. I might talk about what I did in graduate school. Sometimes I love to talk about how somehow I started as a public policy person and then now I'm a pastor. That's a fun story to tell and it tells you a little bit more about who I am. And sure, maybe you are defined by your breakfast choice. Maybe you are Mr. or Mrs. Rice Krispie in North America. Awesome, that's a great story to tell. A dinner party? 
Or you may identify, be defined by the car that you drive. Uh, But if you do that, then maybe you will mention that at the beginning. But if you do, you will probably be defined by that, by others around you for a while. If the first thing you do at your dinner party is you say, I want you to know, I love Rice Krispies so much that Kellogg themselves started giving me shares. I am a stockholder of Kellogg now because I eat them so much. I want to meet that person. I want that person at my dinner party. But you know, like three weeks later, four weeks later, somebody's going to be like, oh yeah, did you go to that party? Yeah, I did, and I hung out with uh, Mr. Rice Krispie Eats a lot, right? You just, you just would stay with you. Or yeah, I, I talked to the guy that all he ever talks about is driving his Tesla, which if I had one, I probably would be that obnoxious. Um, all he ever does is talk about his car, talk about his car, talk about his car. We are also ideally talking about what we're for as opposed to what we're against. This was something I was reminded by a couple good friends of mine this week that oftentimes when we try to shine a light on the things that we are against, well, we end up casting a large shadow upon ourselves and the things we're for. We kind of drowned ourselves out and put far too much spotlight on the things that we're against. Have you ever noticed this? The, 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 the friends that I tend to have my longest tenured experience with are folks that I've got shared identities with or maybe at the very least mutual appreciation for experiences. Maybe we both like uh, soccer. Maybe we both like certain sports. And I certainly identified myself by my love of soccer. But I also find that the folks that I have the longest tenured friendships with and the longest tenured relationships are the folks that we have a shared agreement of what we're for. That we want good things to happen in certain ways. That we like certain things to happen. That we hope for the best for certain groups of people. And I found that the relationships that I spent more time building relationships over the thing that I was against, our common enemy, well, when that enemy dissipates, we're not really much friends anymore. What fabric do we have to keep with us? So we talk about the things that are identity-shaping, but also the things that we're for, and as time progresses, as we hear stuff that other people identify with, and we start to overlap one another, oh, I never knew I would love samba music. Well, I'm going to experience samba. Now, I like samba music. Hey, I've never been to a major league soccer game. Oh, Adam's going to take me. That's awesome. Now, I'm, you see how steadily those relationships build and build and build, and this becomes the threads of the fabric that good community is built upon. It's the things that we identify that make us who we are, and it's the shared experience of what we're for and not against. Now, it's unusual to spend time on a sermon honing in on one single verse. It's a gutsy move, I admit. you got to pull a lot out, about 10 or 15 words. But if we look at this in context and we think about all of John, remember, John as a gospel is like Jesus' superhero, right? Jesus, who is like really fully God, really fully human, 
as opposed to Mark, which is kind of crabby Jesus, the Jesus who got up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, who always seems to be tired and has to go away. No, this is like the Jesus that we're like, if I was in trouble, I don't want Superman. I want Gospel of John Jesus to be there. All the miracles, all the amazing things. John was really trying to make the point that Jesus wasn't just a person, but Jesus was fully God, fully human. Really, really spectacular. And John spends the better part of 21 chapters telling this to us over and over again. Remember the prelude, you know, the beginning, the prologue, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Like, that's the Jesus we're wrestling with in the Gospel of John. So many spectacular things. And then leaves us at the end of the Gospel this final sentence. It's like we hardly know Jesus at all. And it makes me wonder, what else is there about Jesus? What were the things that everyone was talking about, uh, about this Jesus person? What were the basics? What would the dinner parties have been like when you had Jesus over? What would have been the things that Jesus identified with? What were the things Jesus was for? And what were the things that got left out? Because apparently there's a whole lot. John is obviously being hyperbolic here, but when you think about what the writer here is saying, the writer here is saying that so much is left out of the story of Jesus that the world could not possibly contain it all. And here we are, dear friends, on a Sunday when we give and a Sunday where we reflect on what we offer in a whole series of stewardship time. And we're creating whole buildings and whole programs and everything on a guy that we apparently barely know anything about. Because here's the thing, if the first dinner party was this persuasive, if the first series of conversations about Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human one, were this exciting, gosh, what is in the rest of it? What is in everything that's unspoken? And so for me, it begs a question over and over again. What miracles have yet to be spoken of that Jesus did? What resurrections stay unwritten? How many times did Jesus turn water into wine? Because I bet he was at a whole lot of dinner parties. It's like that was your thing and you were known for that. Like, I kind of want you to, so we got the tap running. Can you do your thing again? What good words, what good life, what miracles continue to stay out of sight? It may mean, dear friends, that there was way, 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 way more to this life of faithful living than what we have in front of us. It may mean that behind the words that we think about every Sunday, there may be a depth that we don't even know yet. It reminds me of the last lines of the E.E. Cumming poem, Since Feeling is First, and he says this, For life is not a paragraph, and death, I think, is no parenthesis. It means that the more we live together, the more we experience shared identifying moments, the more that the fabric of our shared life together strengthens. 
It might not be the first thing that you tell somebody. It might not be the main things you tell folks, but it's all the secondary and tertiary unwritten things in a shared life and community that strengthen the bonds one to another. They may not be the things that we'll share at the next dinner party when we're over at somebody's house, but they count for something with those we already love and care for. And friends, in the midst of it, in this single passage, if we believe who Jesus says he was, if we truly believe this was the fully God, fully human one who died and was resurrected, which means that Jesus is still alive today, it means that Jesus is still doing more than can be written or spoken of right now. Jesus Christ is overflowing our libraries with all the things that he can still continue to do right now. In this single verse, in 10 or 15 simple words, friends, lies infinite moments, infinite miracles, but just under the surface. These aren't dinner party conversation miracles. But they're the ones that strengthen the communal fabric as we continue to get to know one another and demonstrate what we're for and not against. And so I think, dear friends, we come today to an inflection moment in our history. At the beginning of our stewardship sermon, if you remember that we had these bricks up here and people were like, what the heck are those bricks for? They were just a pile and they were a mess. They told a story then, didn't they? Amidst coming back here with everything that was going on around us, it told a story in part of what we were against and what we weren't. And I believe that those bricks at the beginning cast far too long of shadow on each of us. But steadily, brick by brick, one after another, we started to tell the stories we do identify with. We told the stories of what good was happening right now, of what we stood for, of what we believed that was true, as Michael said, of being Presbyterian, which sometimes doesn't sound like the thing you'll say at the dinner party the first thing, but you know what? You stand for it. You stand for things that matter, of making sure that no matter who you are, you are loved here. That those baptismal waters don't get poured for fun, but it counts for something about who we're becoming. Brick upon brick, we started to tell those stories of growth, of new life, and in the end, a vision of commitment and of hope. Over the last seven weeks, as we've thought about what it meant to go deeper, dear friends, we have spoken of what we were for, and we said we are no longer going to speak of what we are against. And that there are all sorts of miracles that are still yet unwritten. And so, we no longer have a pile of bricks, friends. We have a well. And this well holds the waters of baptism. Every day we bring some water out and we pour it and it flows back here again. 
Those same words that I have reminded you over and over again. Doesn't matter where you've been, where you are today, where you are going. You are loved and forgiven and part of a body that loves you no matter what. In this way, is being reminded of our own deeper, quiet areas. The ones that are yet to be written, the ones that are yet to be known. And so, friends, as we think about our stewardship season, as we think about our consecration Sunday, I invite you, as we do every year, to come up here and place your pledge. Remember, it's not about the money. It's not about what you write in there. It's about being for something. It's about the infinite miracles that are still happening today. We ourselves are an unwritten miracle coming out of the gospel. Each of you are an unwritten miracle coming out of the gospel. Something we're becoming. Something more than what we've been. And though it's tempting to continue to cast the long shadow of the past and what we're against, today I invite you to think about what you're for and offer them here today. We'll have a couple of folks here on the side that will help you if you'd like to come up here. Be sure to grab one of the musical instruments on your way. Friends, this is a chance, in a, in a simple way, to go deeper and to believe in all the miracles that God has given us.